Our great God, we, we thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty. You reign over all. You are the I am that I am. You have said, I am God, that there is no other. A righteous God and Savior. Look into me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. We give praise to you. We thank you. You have given us your your word that you inspired your prophets and apostles. And that which they wrote, every word is absolutely true without error, infallible, incapable of error. Open your word tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit, who is the true teacher, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to John chapter 6. In our section that we're I will be dealing with tonight is verses 35 through 47. <clears throat> John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him, because he said, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now remember who Jesus is speaking to. He has fed 5,000 men plus women and children as we've said before, it could have been a crowd of about 13,000 people. And earlier, beginning in, in verse 26, Jesus rebukes these people because they were seeking him because they wanted to be fed. Not because of the miracle that pointed to him as a sign that he was the real Messiah. Jesus says 
that they needed to work not for food that perishes, but they needed to work for food that never perishes and a food that leads to eternal life. So the Jews asked him then, when he said that, then what should we do to do the works of God? And the Jews said, well, Moses fed, fed us from bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus responds in verse 32 that it was not Moses who gave you bread out of heaven. He says, my father who gives you the true bread of heaven. So Jesus is trying to shift their thinking from physical bread to the true bread that comes out of heaven. Now in verse 33, we saw that Jesus said that the bread of God that comes out of uh, heaven is the bread that gives life to the whole world. Now, you know the word world can shift meaning depending on the context. And obviously here, the word world entails all the nations, people in every uh, tribe, tongue, nationality. That's the world he has in mind. Jesus came to save people no matter where they are on planet earth. So the Jews respond to him in verse 34 saying, well, then give us this bread. And notice the similarity of them asking for this bread that leads to eternal life is very similar to the, what the Samaritan woman asked Jesus when he asked, uh, she asked for uh, water or he asked for water to drink. And he says, you'd like to know the water, but never cause you to thirst again? Well, sir, give me that water. Very similar. Now, Jesus makes it very clear that he is the one that imparts life and that he is the one that sustains life, no other. So what Jesus is referring to, a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst, but these Jews can't get, they don't understand. They can't get their minds off of the physical food. Now, when Jesus says you need to hunger and thirst that which leads to life, it really reminds us of an Old Testament passage. If you want to turn real quick to Isaiah chapter 55, a great passage. Where Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. It's quite apparent here that Isaiah referred to a hungering and a thirsting for something that essentially you'll never have to hunger and thirst again. Now, Jesus, of course, is referring to everlasting eternal life is what he is referring to. And Jesus says that the way to get to, to eternal life, the only way that you're going to get into eternal life is through me. I'm the bread that comes out of heaven. And so a person must come to Jesus, they have to have a believing heart. 
But you see, Jesus said to these Jews, you don't have that believing heart. And notice that they said, they demanded a sign from Jesus. And if Jesus were to grant them that request, then they would believe in him. Well, what do you think he was doing earlier? When he fed them the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. But you see, Jesus says, you seek a sign not for the Messiah, but because of what you can be fed physically or what I can do for you. Remember, in one sense, these Jews understood he was remarkable by the fact they understood that there was a miracle that got done. Remember, they wanted to take him by force. They wanted to kidnap him so, and to take him and use him uh, in Jerusalem. And Jesus would have no part with them because Jesus knew with their heart. So when Jesus responds in verse 36 of our text there, notice it says, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. Well, how did they see him? They saw the miracle. And the miracle was designed to be a sign to teach them, I am the Messiah. You've seen what I've done. So why are you asking me to give you a sign? I gave you a sign, and yet you still don't believe me. Now, here's the thing. Verse 37. Well, let's... Let's put it this way. Jesus, where does he put the, the blame upon these Jews? He puts the blame fully upon those Jews for not believing in him when they should have. So here we've got human responsibility right here given to us. The, he says, you should have believed but you don't, you're culpable. Now, does this mean that the person who does believe, does that mean they have given themselves credit for that ability? If I do believe and you believe, are we to pat ourselves on the back? Oh, good for us. We're smarter than those others and we believed. What does Jesus say? The answer to that question, do we, give, do we and ourselves have that ability? The answer is verse 37. Quite clear. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now we have seen one verse earlier, Jesus is stressing human accountability. You should have believed me. And now he is stressing divine sovereignty. You're not going to come and you're not going to believe unless the Father gives you to me. So all of a sudden now we have Divine predestination, very remarkably set forth here. So what we see in Scripture 
are two truths held in tension. In fact, Greg Sword and I talked for about an hour and a half after lunch on this very subject today. J.I. Packer stated it one of the best yet in his book, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He says, you got two truths. You got divine sovereignty, and then you got human responsibility. They appear to be contradictory, but they're not because both are taught in the word of God. If they're both taught in the word of God, they can't be wrong, right? They have to, but he says, they have, he calls it an antinomy, which is a fancy word for saying two truths which appear contradictory, but are nonetheless simultaneously true. And, he, and Packer says there are two truths in this world and in the world to come, they meet in the mind of God. In a verse that I've always stressed on that is Isaiah 55. Just because I can't understand how divine sovereignty works in conjunction with human responsibility, the problem is not with God, the problem is with me. Because God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because you can't figure out how they relate doesn't mean they're not true. So you got to affirm both. And Jesus says, you should have believed. But the reason you don't believe, because the Father has not given them to me. Later on, he's going to drive this home even further in John chapter 8. So, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And when, he, and when they come to me, I will not cast them out. I will never, ever cast out someone whom God has given so we got to ask this question, who are these people whom the Father has given to Jesus? Anybody want to venture to answer that question? Who are these people whom the Father has given to Jesus? Oh boy, that was all, all of y'all once got it. That's right, the elect. That's who they are. And all the elect, they will come. See, that's a, that's a blessed thing when you think about it. And, and some of us who were never born in, in a covenant family uh, like myself and who for the longest time, for at least 18 years, I didn't know the Lord could care less and to think I mean, in my youth, I did some stupid things that could have been my demise, but to realize, you know, the elect, they will come. There's no question about it. The elect will believe at some point, and that's very comforting when you think about it. You know, take a look, turn over. I know that you're probably familiar with this passage, Turn to Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 7. 
I remember one time years ago, my wife's extended uh, family that were of another theological persuasion, we were at the dinner table and someone asked the question <laughs> uh, about Presbyterianism and predestination and her uncle just quickly said, there's not one place, not one place in all the Bible that talks about predestination. Now, I'd just been to my, uh, my family side and there was a big theological controversy at Thanksgiving Day. And I told my wife, you know, I, I will abstain from any theological controversy when we get to uh, your side of the family. And so when and that person said, there's not one place in all the Bible that teaches predestination, I looked at Chris, she looked at me, she knew I could not let that one go by. <laughs> oh, we uh, had a good time with this and many other passages, but look what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who were faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace, God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. So what we see is that God has his elect from the foundation of the world and he's given these to his son. And then we immediately see the emphasis shift back to human responsibility. A person can never say, I don't believe because I'm not elect. I want to believe, but since I'm not elect, oh, that's too, I mean, I wish I was one of the elect, but since I'm not the elect, I got shafted. I think I told you this not too long ago in the first pastor, someone was struggling with predestination. I went out and talked to him and, and he said to me, he says, John, he says, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. I, I just don't know. I said, we can settle it right now. You want to settle it right now? Believe in Jesus and you're one of the elect. John and I went on there. No, hold. I said, we can settle it right now. Believe in Jesus and you're one of the elect. Because Acts 13, 48 is a great passage. You ought, you ought to have this down if you're talking to somebody. As many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. As many as were ordained. See, that's exactly what John 6 is saying. The Father has given some whom he has ordained to Jesus and to believe. So the issue here is to believe. Now, back to John 6, 37. 
all those whom the Father has given will come. They will come, not maybe, they will come. That's why we can say that all the elect, you're going to do it. They will come. I remember in our college ministry, there was a guy, a boy named, a guy, he's a college student, named Tim. And Tim will go off to some uh, conference over the Christmas holidays, and Tim will give his heart to Jesus. And he goes home and tells his mama during the Christmas breaks, his mama, I've given my heart to Jesus. And his mother told him a story that she had never told him before. Now, Tim was born in 1952. I just recently learned that uh, Tim was born at five months. And in 1952, you know what the percentage of survival rate was? About 5%. In fact, the doctors told his mother, she says, they said, ma'am, we just want to be up front. We don't think your son's going to live. She, she prayed. She was a believer and gave, her, gave him over to the Lord, much like what Hannah did with Samuel. Said, if you let this boy live, he's yours. Of course, Tim lives. <laughs> Comes home, tells his mother, he'd given his heart to Jesus, he kind of lived a little riotous life as a teenager and learned, found out that his mother had prayed and done that. And you know what Tim said? You know, all my life when I was going astray, somehow I knew that God was going to get me. <laughs> he was one of the elect. And in due time, God brought him to saving faith when he was 18 years old. The elect will come, and what does Jesus say? I won't cast them out. Not only will I not cast them out, what, what, what does the text say? There he says, uh, <clears throat> I, will, I won't cast them out, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Every single one of God's elect will come to Jesus. And guess what? This world will not come to an end until the last elect person comes to Jesus. And when that happens, the heavens will open, Jesus will descend with the trunk, and we will go into the eternal state. Jesus says, I lose none. And then look at what, what he says in verse 39. I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So all that the Father gives to me, they will come. And when they come, I won't, I won't cast them out. And I will raise them up on the last day. What, what last day we're talking about? Well, the last day, the end of the world. When everything is brought to a consummation, that's the last day in Scripture. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8.
and look at verse 28 through 30, a very familiar passage. But we're looking at this in light of what John 6 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and I will not cast out and I will raise it up on the last day. John, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, <clears throat> And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. In theology, that is called the ordo salutis. I call it as well the golden unbreakable chain from beginning to end. It starts in the council of God from all eternity. He calls, well, he predestines. He calls. Now, this calling we're going to see is what we call the effectual calling. See, I can't come to Jesus unless I'm called by the Father. We'll look about that a little bit more here in a moment. And if I'm called, then I'm going to be justified. I will believe. And upon believing, I'm justified. And if I'm justified, I eventually will be glorified. What did Jesus say? If you come to me, I won't cast you out, and I will raise you up on the last day. That is the day of glorification, the last day. You know, turn to Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Will perfect it. Not maybe. It will be perfected. So when God has called us and we have exercised faith in believing in Jesus, God will see us through to the end. Absolutely. One other passage to take a look at that corresponds well with what John 6 is saying. Turn over to 1 Peter 1. Look at verses 2 through 5. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 2. Well, let's start at verse 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithany, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Sounds very similar to Romans 8, right? The, uh, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us 
to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See the similarity with Romans 8. See the similarity with John 6. All that the Father gives me will come. Well, that's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who draws us. And when the Spirit draws us, we will come. And by the way, we can't believe without the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, do you remember in John 3 when we looked at that, that Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Well, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? No, Nicodemus, you got to be born of the spirit of water. And he says, being born of the spirit, he says, it's mysterious. The wind blows as it wills. You see the effect of it. So is someone who is born of God. John 6.37 is one of the most powerful texts on what we call in theology effectual or irresistible grace, effectual calling or irresistible grace. Everybody who's been elected, they will come to Jesus. And when they come, he will not cast them out. And you see, here's the wonderful thing. When we get to John 10, Jesus talks about that no one can snatch my people out of my hand. No one. I will raise them up. It will happen. You can bank on it. So this last day, Jesus says, I will raise up on the last day. That is the day of resurrection. I just want to draw our attention back to John chapter 5. Turn back to John 5 and look at verses 25 through 29 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Remember what we said, that first uh, calling, hearing the voice, is regeneration. Remember, it shifts in verse 29, uh, 28. He talks about those in their tombs. That's a physical resurrection. The first is a spiritual resurrection. The second is a physical resurrection. That physical resurrection happens at the coming of Jesus. You remember... 
when Jesus went to Bethany, when he was told that his, his good friend Lazarus was near death and Jesus deliberately delayed until Lazarus died so he could do one of his greatest miracles. And Martha came out, she's all upset. And Mary, if you were here, Lord, you, you could have raised him from the dead. And Jesus says to her, you know, Martha, he, there, he will rise from the dead. Yeah, on, notice what she says. On the last day, just turn to John 11, because this is important. Even Martha had this theological understanding. John 11, Martha said to him, after Jesus said, your brother shall rise again, she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She understood that theology. She understood that that resurrection of the dead, the physical resurrection, is going to be that last day. Of course, Jesus says, watch this, and he raises Lazarus from the dead right then. Turn to 1 Corinthians. So we ask, when is that resurrection? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. And take a look at verses 20 through 28. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ all should be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Now we're talking about a physical resurrection. That's the context. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. All things are put in subjection. It is evident he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. So, what we see here. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead, right? He's the first fruits. And then everybody who belongs to him. And then the end will come. But the end's not going to come until he accomplishes all his reign, which, by the way, is not until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So Jesus, for going back to John 6 now, The key is, if one can behold Jesus for who he really is, if you can see Jesus with the eye of faith, then you can have eternal life. And when you exercise that faith, 
you will be raised up. What we have understood in the Reformed faith is this, and this is very helpful. It is called divine enabling. Remember the Bible says we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. There is no one who's good. There are none who are righteous. All our righteous deeds, we have failed. We're doomed. What happens is, is that God opens our hearts by regeneration, which is what? The Father giving us to Jesus by drawing us to Jesus, by changing our heart so that once before we didn't want Jesus, but now all of a sudden we want Jesus. Well, how do you explain that? The Holy Spirit, that's how you explain it. The rub here in John 6, 41 and 42 is this. These Jews began to grumble about what Jesus was saying here. And here's why they grumbled. We know who your father and your mother is. And we maybe have seen you being raised from childhood. We know who you are. And you claim to be from God, from above? We know who your parents are. And you're making some grandiose claim to being the son of God? See, they're, they're grumbling. And notice what Jesus says. He responds to their grumbling here in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. What what he was saying to these Jews is, you want to know why you don't believe me? Because you haven't been given to me by my Father. Because if you had been given to me by your Father... He would have drawn you to me. And the proof that he isn't drawn you to me is the fact you don't believe me. You should have believed me, but you don't. And the reason why you're not the elect of God, because you're not exercising belief. Remember, as Acts 13, 48, as many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. You know, that's, that's the marvelous thing. Again, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. We've looked at this passage multiple times, but it's worth us looking at it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 3. Now, follow closely what what is said here. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
in whose case, that is, in the case of those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. Let's stop right there for a moment. The reason unbelievers cannot see the gospel is because the devil has blinded their minds and they cannot see. That's a pretty hopeless situation. But let's continue. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The God of this world has blinded unbelievers and they will remain in that state of unbelief until they see the light. But you're not going to see the light of the gospel unless the Holy Spirit has changed your heart and opened your eyes. Then you will see the light. You know, there is a reason why I go to these passages all over the scriptures. It's to demonstrate to us the great unity of the word of God. That this is, a, this is not an isolated teaching in the, in the word of God. This is all through the scriptures. This calling of the spirit is taught in numerous places. And then notice as we end here, verse 46, not, not that, uh, well, verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Did you catch that phrase? Everybody who has learned from the Father comes to me. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. He's tying it all together. You know, that um, spiritual truth is revealed truth. We don't figure these things out by our great intellect. If we understand the scriptures, here's the reason why we understand the scriptures. is because we're taught of the Holy Spirit. That's why we understand the scriptures. And without the Holy Spirit, you and I will not understand the scriptures. One last verse, Matthew 16, 17. Remember Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter speaks up. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
So in John 6, everyone who's learned and taught of the Father, they will come to me. And these Jews who wanted a sign, Jesus said, I gave you a sign. I gave you one, but you didn't believe because you, you were never given to me by my Father. You know, one of the takeaways that you and I should have from this, every day you and I should thank the Lord that he in his great mercy determined to open your heart and to open your eyes. And thank the Lord that you were elected from the foundation of the world. And as the psalm, psalmist says in Psalm 139, I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb. My soul knows it very well. All the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of those days. How precious also are thy thoughts toward us, O God. If I should number them, they would outnumber the sand of the sea. When Christine and I have our devotions, almost, almost all the time, I like to start out by thanking the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that our names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, that you showed us mercy when you didn't have to. Thank you that you drew us by your spirit to Jesus. Thank you. Let's pray. We give praise to you, O Lord. We thank you for your loving kindness that reaches all the way back into eternity. We thank you that there was nothing that was gonna stop us coming to Jesus. Hallelujah. And we thank you that we will be raised up on that last day. Hallelujah. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.